Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 3. We were talking about rude revival. Talking about the disruptiveness of a move of God. A lot of times when we think about the move of God, you know, we forget the fact that he's not flowing with our plan. We're flowing with his, right? Uh, when, when he shows up and wants to do a thing, he's not consulting us. He's not asking us. He's not, uh, you know, making sure we've got room on the schedule for it and room in our buildings even, room in our uh, agendas and our plans. But we're finding out that a move of God can be disruptive in nature. And we want it to be. We want it to shake things. We want it to disturb Things We want it to shake those things that we know need to be shaken, but we also need it to disrupt and remove things that maybe we didn't realize needed to be moved around, right? There's things in our lives that are toxic, um, unhealthy, um, or, or, or just not the best for us. And, and so we've got to get to a place where we want the best that God has for ourselves. Don't settle for mediocre in the kingdom. Don't settle for barely getting by. Don't ever tell God, God, if you just give me this, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. He wants to give you life and then life more abundantly. See, you know, sometimes we just want what God wants for us, but not how he wants it for us. And when you recognize that your life is on display, your life is a reflection of the kingdom of God, your, your life is showing other people who he is, not how good you are, not how good you have it, not how much stuff you've accumulated or accomplished or fulfilled, but ultimately your life is a display for God himself. You are revealing the Father to everybody you come into contact with. And they need to see a God that does abundantly above, beyond, immeasurably more. Come on, these words are in the Bible. I'm not making them up. They're found in your Bible. They ought to be highlighted and underlined and starred and circled and in parentheses. You need to find these words, the quality of life that God would have you to live is far greater than you could even want for yourself. So don't sell yourself short. Go after all that God has. Well, to go after all, we also have to abandon all. We made this statement several weeks ago. If I want to receive what God has, then I need to release what God asks. So when that shaking comes, don't find yourself trying to hold on to stuff. Don't find yourself trying to hold on to comfort. Hold on to finance. Hold on to friendships, hold on to desires, hold on to things. We all have security blankets. We all have comfort zones. We all have things that we like to keep ourselves wrapped in or consumed with uh, because they give us a, a, a level of protection and a level of meaning maybe, a level um, of, of, of value to your life. But when God shakes it, that means it needs to be shook. That means it needs to be shaken. That means it needs to be disturbed. That means it needs to be released. That means it needs to be pruned and cut off and abandoned. That means that, man, if he's asking for it, I promise you he's got something better in exchange. God always makes exchanges. He never takes without giving in return. And I promise you, 
what he has to bring to you and give to you in return is far better than what you're holding on to. As comfortable as it may seem and as, uh, as valued as it may bring your life to and as uh, substantial uh, that it might be in your life, I can promise you what he has to give you in return is far greater than what that could ever do for you. And in Matthew chapter 3, uh, beginning here in verse 1, we've, we've been looking at the life of John the Baptist talking about this rude revival because he was different, right? He, he, he didn't act and look and, and carry his life in the way that many others did. He, he was just a different individual. And symbolically, we've discovered that John the Baptist lived the way he did and did what he did because he was bringing a revelation that God's up to something. God's doing something different. And it's going to abandon the status quo. And it's going to abandon mediocre. And it's going to abandon casualness, the casuality of life and what you find yourself caught up in. And in verse 1, it reads this way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent. Everyone say repent. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent. Think about this now. I want you to see these words. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in Matthew chapter 4, we know the end of chapter 3, uh, Jesus shows up, John the Baptist reluctantly, hesitantly, but uh, uh, willingly and obeying the law, uh, 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 baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water, is sent into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after that temptation, in verse 17, look what it says of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent. Everyone say repent. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. John the Baptist says repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. The New King James reads is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means within reach. That means now. The thing we have to understand about the kingdom of God is the, the kingdom of God is not an abstract idea. I want you to get this this morning. The kingdom of God is not an abstract idea. It's not an imaginary theory or concept. It's not just a, a, a term that, that John the Baptist and Jesus are using, the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, how, how do we describe uh, God in his glory and his presence? Let's use the word kingdom. No, the word kingdom means this, a king's domain. The word kingdom literally means king's domain. It means the territory over which a king rules and has dominion. They did not just pick words out of the air. They did not just casually throw out kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. They were literally saying that there is a realm, there is a reality, there, there is a, 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 a structure and a fixture 
uh, of God's plan that he's bringing into the earth. And it's real. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now. This is not an imaginary concept or theory. The kingdom of God is real. The kingdom of God is tangible. The kingdom of God is measurable. Come on, I need you to grab this. I need you to understand this. I'll stay on this point until I know we've got it. The kingdom of God is authentic. It is the real deal. There is a kingdom. And they both use an interesting word. Prefixing, prerequisite to entering the kingdom of God, repent. Everyone say repent. One more time, say repent. He says repent for, because the kingdom of God, that real, measurable, authentic, now kingdom is here. He says repent. We have mismanaged the gospel. We've mismanaged it. We've, we've, we've misappropriated it. As a church, we fear responsibility. That's why we use statements like God is in control. That's why we start our prayers with, Lord, if it be your will. That's the smallest amount of faith you could ever execute, is hoping it would be his will. We dumb these principles down and we, 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 we don't rise to the full understanding, full comprehension of what Jesus and his ministry intended for us. I can make statements that I know will blow your mind the second I say them because we've dumbed, we've dumbed down the gospel. We've reduced it. I can make a statement like this. Jesus never taught, her, taught us how to deal with unanswered prayers. Can't find it in the gospels. Well, if he doesn't answer your prayer, what should we do? He, but he repeatedly told us how to get answers to prayer. To expect answers to prayer. He looks at a man that walked on water, pulls him into the boat and says, why don't you have any faith? There's another occurrence where he was sleeping in the bottom of the boat and his disciples were in the boat. And they cried out to Jesus, Lord, save us, right? And what did Jesus do? Jesus got up, spoke to the storm, peace, be still, right? Y'all remember what he said after that to those disciples? Why are you so fearful? Why are you of little faith? Now, let me ask you this. Jesus was God, right? And what do we call prayer? talking to God. So those disciples were praying to Jesus, Lord, save us. And after he answered their prayer, responds to them and says, where's your faith? Because there was another level that Jesus was trying to get us to. Jesus was always trying to move us from spectator to participator. Jesus is always trying to move us from watching and observing to participating in enacting the will of God in the earth. 
Jesus was very much more interested in involving mankind in the plan of God than he was stand back and watch. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus performed, everything that Jesus operated, everything that Jesus did in his ministry, all the great signs and wonders, he expected. No, commissioned us to go do. In Mark chapter 16, it doesn't say pray for the sick. It says heal the sick. And I know why this isn't going over well. I know why you wanting to look back and make sure I'm preaching the word correctly. But it's in your Bible. Why aren't we seeing miracles, signs, and wonders? You know, the Lord gave me this statement. He said, we have settled for studying the power of the past and hoping for the power of the future while remaining powerless in the present. We have no problem talking about the power that used to be. And we have no problem believing that a great king is returning in all his might and all his glory in the future. But what about right now? Why do we preach a Jesus that has taken the day off? That in our lifetime, he can't do what we've heard about and what we believe he can do in the future. Where's the God that works the miracles, signs, and wonders? Where's the God that is releasing power in the earth? Where's the God that said, I never change? I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the same in the past and in the future as I am in the present. Why is cancer winning today? Why are babies dying today? Why is fear ruling today? We need a church that's going to rise up. I'm going to get you to my punchline, and then I'll work my way back. Guys, if you can put that note on the screen. A repentant heart makes way for a renewed mind. A renewed mind makes way for a revived church. And a revived church makes way for a restored kingdom. Each one hinges on the other. We can't restore the kingdom until we revive the church. And there will be a revived church. There will be. There is a church he's coming back for without spot or wrinkle. Without blemish. His church, his people, his bride. It's in his word. Restoring the kingdom hinges and relies on reviving the church. Reviving the church relies on renewing one's mind. But getting a renewed mind hinges on first repenting in your heart.
It all starts here. You don't transform cities until you transform people, but you don't transform people until you transform minds, and you don't transform minds until you transform hearts. It all starts here in the heart. This word repent, you've heard me talk about it a lot, but we'll, for the sake of making the point and driving the point home, we'll reiterate that repentance is not saying I'm sorry. It's not even feeling sorry. It's not even being sorry. Repentance was a, a much broader theme and a, and a much broader um, a, a, a much heavier, a much broader expectation when they when Jesus and John the Baptist both said, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." You could put it this way: repentance is for the purpose of shifting perspective. Repentance is for the purpose of shifting perspective. Repentance is for the purpose of shifting perspective. What are the perspectives that need shifting? You know, you, maybe you've heard of using this term. Repentance is turning a 180. I was headed this direction. And when I repent, I'm now headed this direction. Maybe you all have heard that term before. We're not just talking about sin. We're not just talking about feeling sorry for my faults and failures. We're not just talking about how badly I missed it in BC before Christ, before I came into the kingdom. We're talking about a shift in realities, a shift in perspectives. And he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven was a new reality. The kingdom of heaven was a new way of thinking a new way of living, a new expectation, a new realm of possibilities. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. And when he says repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says you're used to living this way, but now I'm calling you to live this way. The word repentance literally means change your thinking. That's literally what that word means. When you repent, you are changing how you view something. You're changing your perception of it. You're changing what it looks like. You're changing how you process things. You're changing how you respond to things. Everything hinges, hinges on this word repent. Change your thinking. He says, up until now, Old Testament, this is what you thought about God. This is what you thought about his purpose. This is what you thought about his plan. This is what you thought about what he could do. This is what you thought about what he couldn't do. This is what you thought about what was possible. This is what you thought about was God was able to do. This is what you thought about your purpose. Everything hinges in this word, repent, Repentance is necessary to receive the kingdom of God. Repentance is necessary to receive the kingdom of God. I have to abandon kingdom of darkness. I have to abandon being lost. I have to abandon 
doing life one way. And I have to change my thinking, repent, and head towards this new kingdom to discover fully all of its realities. All of its realities. The kingdom of God is a reality. The kingdom of God is not an abstract idea or theory. The kingdom of God is very real, and it is now. And he says, if you want to walk into this new reality, you're going to have to change your thinking. You're going to have to repent from the old way and come towards the new way. It starts with repentance. Look at this in John chapter 3. Repentance is for the purpose of shifting our perspective from one reality to the other. Repentance is for the purpose of shifting our perspective from one reality to another. We all need to just go ahead and acknowledge right off the bat that I have been accustomed to an old reality. Hate instead of love. Fear instead of peace. Sickness and disease instead of healing and wholeness. Lack instead of prosperity. Come on, I could do it all day long. And, and, and the two realities are completely contradictory. They share no likeness whatsoever. It requires a full abandon to come from one to the other. And in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus in verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs unless you do, that you do, unless God were with them. Think about this. They are seeing the signs and the wonders. They're seeing the healings. And now they're trying to reconcile two different realities. There's no way this happens in our reality. There's no way that this takes place in the realm we've been living in. So there, you must have some kind of supernatural assistance. You must have some kind of other realm or other reality working on your behalf to make these things happen. They're seeing the signs and the wonders. Seeing the miracles. But look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, how do we become born again? By repenting. Making Jesus Lord of our life. That means I'm changing from one reality to another. Look at this. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he could see the results of the kingdom of God, the signs and the wonders. But Jesus says, if you want to know where this is coming from, if you want to know how this is possible, and if you want to live in that reality day to day, you've got to be born again. You've got to repent. Most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. I'll say that again. Most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. 
Repentance is not for the purpose of making sure you do not die and go to hell. Repentance is far more than that. I'll even say it this way. Repentance is not for the purpose of going to heaven. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you'll be relegated to just observing the signs of the kingdom. But you will not be able to partake and participate with the kingdom unless you're born again. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Verse 4, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again? What a dumb question. (laughs) But it shows you what a limited concept of reality does to us. What's he trying to do? He's trying to reconcile the two realities. There's the reality I know. And now there's the reality you're telling me of. I can't reconcile the two. Why? Because you can't obtain the new reality off the measures of the old reality. You're natural. You'll never be able to reason the spiritual things of God. That's what we've been talking about on Wednesdays. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Foolishness meaning there's no spiritual sense. There's no spiritual awareness. There's no spiritual alignment. And so now we try to process everything in the natural. You know, that, that question sounds silly, but it's just as silly as when we are talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and someone says, well, how can I say words that I don't know? You're reconciling a new reality off of old reality measures. You're trying to walk in a new reality. See, we can see the signs and the wonders of the new reality. But you can't participate in the new reality until you repent. Repentance. If if the kingdom of God is a stream or a river, repentance are the outer banks that carve the way for that river to flow. Repentance is the context for the kingdom of God. Repentance is what creates the alignment to walk in the new reality. And in this new reality are blessings that would blow your mind. Provision that you wouldn't even have room enough to contain. Walking in divine healing and health. Demons falling to their knees declaring Jesus is Lord. What is possible in this new realm is only open to those that fully repent, turn from the old reality, and take on the new reality. Jesus never prayed for one sick person. You won't find it. 
Jesus never prayed to God to heal someone. He spoke directly to sickness and disease and commanded it to die. Jesus never prayed to God about a demon. He spoke directly to the demon. In Mark chapter 11, he didn't say, pray to my father about the mountain that's in your way. He said, speak to the mountain and command it to be thrown and cast into the sea. Why don't we preach this stuff? Why don't we believe this is possible? Why don't we live like the empowered kingdom embassy that we are? Why are we crying out to God about things that he's told us to speak directly to? Command it to go, command it to stay off, command it to die. Command it to wither. Or even worse, leave it up to someone else to pray for it. It says, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, verse five, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. And in that verse right there, he's talking about the two realities. The flesh versus the spirit. The natural versus the supernatural. How do we experience the supernatural? Why are we ministering this? Because when revival comes, it comes to bring an awakening and an awareness to the possibilities of the new realm of the kingdom of God. What if we just stopped and asked ourselves, what is possible? I mean, I, I, I'm seeing things in, 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 in this community and in, in, in this city that even in the short period of time that we've been here, I didn't think were possible. God is wanting to do the impossible. He's wanting to do those things that you've marked off as it's never going to change. He's never going to come to church. She's never going to stop drinking. My kids are never going to come home. This community's never going to know a, a life without religion. Come on. We're seeing things die. But it's be things don't change until they're challenged. And if you don't have an awareness of the kingdom of God and what's possible, then you'll never challenge the way things have always been. And God's calling us to challenge some things. God's calling us to step up to the plate. And there's churches and ministries and people that have passed this assignment up. And I'm telling you right now, we're not going to pass this assignment up. We're going to take this assignment on with the, with, with the full reins. We're going to grab this thing by the throat, and we are going to make sure that we see the assignment of God come to pass in Valdosta, Georgia. And signs and wonders and miracles can happen in this community. Denominations can die in this community. The Holy Spirit can live in this community. A spirit-empowered people going into the workforce, going into our governments, going into our schools, going into our different arenas.
It's time for South Georgia to be known for something other than. It's time for the kingdom of God to come. It's time for the kingdom of God to be known. It's time for the kingdom of God to be present. It's time for the kingdom of God to be expanded and advanced everywhere you go. Stop writing off that place that you go to every day as these people will never change. This company's always going to be this way. They're always going to treat me like that. Start changing, literally altering the geography around you. Because the Holy Spirit's in you, and he wants to come out. He wants out. A repentant heart lays the groundwork for a renewed mind. It's with the heart man believes, not with the mind. But once I've repented in my heart, now I've got to change my thinking and renew my mind to what God wants me to do. It's that church that is revived. Why do we preach the things that we preach? And why do we, we, why do we camp on the things that we camp on? And why do we do the things that we do at Anchor Faith? It's because we've got mind renewal got to go. I can't preach to you the same old stuff that everybody else is preaching. This is not a hold on, hold out church. We're, we're not here just trying to get, I'm just not, I'm, I'm not. The church on life support will die. It's time to start getting some vitamin, vitamins and minerals up in this thing. It's time to get on a path to health and recovery for the church. Not just keeping it alive and keeping it a vegetable on a deathbed. Oh, look, there no, we're talking about a church that is breeding life. It's infusing life into its community, into its businesses, into its schools, into its demographics. That's what we're up to here. That's why we're working on the renewing of the mind. Because you've got to see the things in the Bible and stop looking at them as, oh, that's the way it used to be. you got to start realizing that's the way God wants it now. God never intended for us to be engaged with his new reality, but still have a greater awareness of our former reality. That was not his intention. His intention is when you discover what's possible in my kingdom, you come to expect that every day. And nothing changes. Nothing changes. But we got to quit repenting to get forgiveness of sins. And we got to start repenting so that we can see a new way that God wants us to operate. A new way that he wants to fulfill his plan in the earth. John chapter 5 and verse 30. When I have symptoms come on my body or in my family, you don't want to be around me. I get angry. I do. He shed too much blood and he endured way too much for me to be having sniffles and sore throats and coughs. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. 
tired of sickness and disease disrupting my plans. Tired of sickness and disease disrupting people's families and lives. I'm tired of sickness and disease. I'm tired of cancer. I'm sick and tired of cancer. I'm literally sick and tired of cancer. And don't even think about bringing up the other C word. I don't even want to hear it. I'm so over it. Because Jesus said this in John chapter 5 and verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. You know, I honestly believe that's probably the scariest thing Jesus said. Of all the, the amazing words and the astonishing sermons and the profound messages he gave, I think those words, I can do nothing on my own. See, if I think Jesus did what he did as God, I'm reduced to an observer. I have to sit back and watch, applaud, shout hallelujah. But when he makes that statement, oh boy, that statement changes everything. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, dwelling among us, said, I can't do anything on my own. I require supernatural assistance. Guess what he just did when he, said, when he made that statement? He leveled the playing field for every son and daughter of the king. He just put you on the same playing field as him. And even that statement right there, people struggle with. Because we mismanage the gospel. So we read the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some fairy tale. Or wouldn't it be nice if Jesus walked on the earth so he could heal the sick and we say stupid things like Jesus would wear a mask and would show social distance. <laughs> Golly. The silliness that we come up with trying to reconcile two kingdoms, two realities. I can of myself do nothing. No, in Luke chapter 4, he said this, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus said, Jesus, come on, get this. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh dwelling among us. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I can of myself do nothing. I can't do it by myself. I can't do it on my own. And I don't do it on my own. I don't do it because I'm some almighty creator, because I'm, I'm some almighty God, because I have some power that nobody else has access to. I don't do what I'm doing on my own. Everything you've seen me do, everything you've heard me say, everywhere you've seen me go, 
every miracle and sign and what every dead person raised, every storm calmed. He said, I'm just living with the greater awareness of the reality of the kingdom than I am the reality of this world. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. Meaning, I have access. I've got all of heaven backing me up. I've got a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that is advancing and is moving in on the earth. Storms don't stop me. Death doesn't stop me. I love what he tells Mary and Martha in in, in John chapter 11 when their brother Lazarus died. He said, this sickness will not be unto death. That means this sickness will not end in death. Did he die? Yes. Did it end in death? No. Even when we think it's over, he's still working. That's the reality of the kingdom. In the world, when you die, you're done. In the kingdom, we're just getting started. I'm just getting started. In fact, I'll hang out here for a few days. Miss the funeral and everything. He's already done buried. And I'll raise him back up. It's because he's living with the possibilities of the kingdom, with an awareness of what's possible versus an awareness of what is. The kingdom shows us what's possible. And he says, those things that I did, I did. I did that. I performed that. I operated in that. I, 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 I performed those miracles not on my own ability. Because if I did it on my own ability, if Jesus said, hey, that was just me. And, and, and you know, don't worry about trying to mimic or imitate. Don't worry about trying to do that. That's just something that I'm, I, I, I've just got a special power, special privilege. I'm just, you know, God just saw fit to give me something he didn't give to y'all. So that's not what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says these same words of him, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Notice how it identifies Jesus not with his godly royal state, but with his earthly man state. Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus, the son of God in heaven. So you need to go through your Bible and you need to recognize the difference between when Jesus is called a son of God and when Jesus is called a son of man. When he's called son of man, it's helping you identify he was just like you and I. He reduced himself. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that, that he came, he abandoned all of his royal privilege his heavenly privilege, and came down to this earth and stripped himself of all that to become just like you and I, to show you that man submitted to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can do the very works he did. Because Acts 10 verse 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And when he came from Nazareth, that, that wasn't like Jesus of New York City. That was like Jesus of Hehira. It's like Jesus 
of Ray City or whatever small hometown place you want to plug in there. That wasn't a compliment. He's saying Jesus of that town, that man from that place was anointed by the Spirit of God and went about with power and went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Why did Jesus do what he did? Because he was submitted to the Father and empowered by the Spirit. Well, guess what? You, you, say me, you can be a man or woman submitted to God, empowered by the Spirit. And under those qualities, you can expect the same results Jesus got. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says these words. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. In essence, what he's saying is, I'm not sticking around here. My job was not to come and stay here forever and do all this work by myself. My job was to make disciples My job was to raise up followers that would carry the same power, carry the same possibilities in them that I've carried in me. And he said, in fact, you will do even greater things than what you've seen me do. Now you can... You can buck that all you want. You can put up the stop signs all you want and say, God, I can't heal anybody. And you wouldn't be wrong. But it's not what he said. What he said was, you will do these works and even greater works. You know, there are actually Christians that don't like these verses and don't like when this is being preached. Why? Because it means I'm responsible. You know, if you pray, if you enter a a time of prayer and you walk out of that prayer closet or that time of prayer with less responsibility than more responsibility, you didn't do it right. Most people pray to vent and get their stuff off on God. Okay, glad we had this conversation. Now I'm going to go back doing what I was doing. No, prayer is for the, for the purpose of partnering with God and hearing from heaven so I can say, what needs to be done here? What would you have me do? You want to pray about your marriage? You better be ready to respond to the prayer 
But most of us, what we do is when we pray about our marriage and we're praying about our spouse, we're really just complaining and venting to God about our spouse as if he hasn't been watching and seeing what's going on the whole time anyways. And we want God to change their heart. So when he responds and says, okay, I need you to do this, this, and this, you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. No, no, no. Don't give me stuff to do. Give them something to do. Did you hear everything I said they were doing? Were you listening? Prayer isn't petitioning God to work for us. It's partnering with God to work with us. But most Christians, they, they, they don't want God to work with them. They want God to work for them. And probably one of the greatest things we have to repent from is this idea that God is doing everything for me. That's probably one of the greatest areas we have to repent from. It's probably one of the greatest areas that we have to change our thinking in and say, wait a minute, God isn't trying to do stuff for me. He's trying to do stuff with me so he can do stuff through me and impact somebody else. When's the last time you prayed for a miracle for someone else? I had someone uh, uh, confront me with this question, this challenge one time. If God answered your prayers, who else would it impact? If he answered your prayers, who else besides you would be changed, would be impacted, would be influenced? In Mark chapter 16, let me just keep on going. Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read this out of the Passion, verse 15. And he said to them, as you go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human Race. By the way, we, we don't really know what the gospel is. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. You find it all throughout the, the gospels. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. What most churches and, and ministers and, and Christians preach is the gospel of Jesus. We preach about Jesus. We don't preach about what Jesus preached about. There's a difference. There's a difference between preaching about Jesus and telling you about Jesus and telling you what Jesus talked about. And Jesus did not preach about Jesus. Listen to me now. Come out of the old reality. Come into the new reality. Jesus did not preach about Jesus. Jesus did not preach about heaven. He did not. He did not preach about heaven. I'll go one step further. Jesus did not preach about being born again. He didn't. Well, Pastor Mark, you just read us in John chapter 3 where he was talking to Nicodemus about being born again. In the middle of the night with one man, would you call that a preaching? Would you call that a message? I don't think so. 
He never once mentions being born again to a crowd, to a multitude. Never once talks about salvation the way that we talk about salvation. Never did it. What did he preach about then, Pastor Mark? The kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that, and, and this is what the kingdom looks like, and the kingdom of God, uh, you know, this is how you know the kingdom of God is upon you, and repent for the kingdom of heaven. I mean, from the first words that came out of his mouth, he says what? Repent for the kingdom. It's all he talked about. It's all, not a theory, not a concept, not some imaginary place. Oh, the kingdom of God, you know, like a fairy tale like we have down in Orlando. We're talking about the real deal, the real kingdom, his rule, his dominion. And listen, when his kingdom shows up, it proves to you everything else is inferior. Nothing can match his kingdom. Sickness is inferior. Fear is inferior. Man is inferior. Approval is inferior. Money is inferior. And until you get the kingdom, we don't know how to do nothing until we get the kingdom. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Go into all the world. Preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel, the kingdom of God, to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. Look what he says in verse 17. And these miracles. Now, y'all know what this is, right? How many of y'all tell me what this is? The great commission, right? Oh, we love our great commission. At least verse 15 of the Great Commission. There's more to the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, the Great Assignment. There's more to it. Verse 17 says, And these miracles, these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous. And here it is. They will lay hands on the sick and what? Heal them. I said they will lay hands on the sick and they will heal them. I'm talking about a realm of new possibilities. I'm talking about a realm where God intended for every Christian, every believer to live in this environment, in a realm of laying hands on the sick and them recovering, casting out I mean, we're talking about authority and power here. We're not talking about just preaching a message. Well, Pastor Mark, I can't heal anybody. You can't make disciples either. You can't do any of it. But with the power of the Holy Spirit submitting to the Father, guess what? All those things are made available to you. And even greater things will they do because I go to the Father. Look at this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9.
Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. How many of you believe if Jesus taught us how to pray or gave us a template for prayer, that that ought to be a, a, a value? That ought to be what we look to to pray. A couple of you believe that. Okay. If Jesus taught us to pray, I think that that would be pretty important. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father. He says, our Father. Already in the first two words, he includes us in the category with him. Meaning everything else he says after that, we're included in. This is not us listening to Jesus and how he prays and wishing we could pray like that. This is not us listening and seeing the template. It's like, oh man, that'd be so awesome if we could pray that way. If we could have prayer or power in our prayers like that. No, he says, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Look what he says in verse 10. Your what? Kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Do you believe that God prayed in line with, or that, do you believe that Jesus prayed in line with God's will? Do you think that Jesus would ever pray something that God didn't intend or would not back him up on? Obviously not. If Jesus is giving us a template for prayer, this ought to be the model that we follow with the expectation that God will respond to that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Did you know that God has a will in heaven? He has a purpose. He has an intent. And according to this template, according to this prayer, according to this model, God's desire is that his will and his purpose and intent extends from heaven to the earth. That the way he wants it to be there is the way that it should be here. That's, that's, that's the only conclusion that we come to. Otherwise, Jesus is praying an inaccurate prayer. Otherwise, Jesus is setting us up for failure. Otherwise, Jesus is just running off at the mouth, getting our hopes up that we could actually expect to see this realm changed by the kingdom of God. And again, this prayer is not petitioning God to do something for us. It's partnering with God to do something with us. I'm partnering with him. And now I'm saying, God, how can I bring your kingdom here. How can I bring your will and your purpose and your intent from that realm to this? How can I make the earth look like heaven? How can I make sickness look like health? How can I make fear look like peace? How can I make hate look like love? How can I bring your purpose and your will and your intent? And how many Christians are living daily lives with the thought and the mindset, how am I today bringing heaven to earth? Your job is not to get to heaven. Your job is not to get to to heaven. I'd probably be run out of most churches this morning preaching that almost anywhere else. 
We love our heaven. We love heaven. We love the gold streets. We love the mansions. We love the rivers and the streams. We love the angels and the cherubim. We love the elders and the thrones and the candlesticks and, and all the things that Revelation taught. We love heaven, except for when it comes to bringing it here. Because living with the mindset that it's one place that I go rather than a place that I bring makes no demand on my life. <laughs> you literally don't have to do anything to believe I'm going to heaven one day. But now when we shift our thinking and we repent from the old and we walk into the new and we say, I'm supposed to make this geography, this terrain, this school, this business, this home look like heaven. Oh, I know it sounds like a daunting task. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Quit believing that the Holy Spirit is not for you. Quit believing that the Holy Spirit doesn't still operate and move today. It's the reason why you're burnt out. It's the reason why you're strained. It's the reason why you're feeling under the bucket rather than feeling the bucket. It's the reason why you don't feel confident or competent in what God has assigned you and called. It's the reason why you feel unfulfilled. We said Wednesday night that busyness is artificial significance. Busyness. We fill our lives with busyness. I think it's ironic how busy we get this month of the year. I think it's just ironic that Christmas makes such a demand on our lives that some of us can't even make it to church because we're busy going to parties and recitals. I think that's ironic. That coming to the house, being the body of Christ and the house of the Lord is down on the list because I'm busy doing all these other things, celebrating his birth. Artificial significance. God getting leftovers. God getting whatever we have left in the tank after we've done everything else. God getting whatever we can write a check for after we've paid everything else. God getting leftovers. That's not kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is not. My life revolves around his kingdom. My life, my life revolves around his purpose. My life revolves around his plan. My life revolves around bringing heaven to earth. And I don't set my schedule by what I prefer or what I feel like or what makes me comfortable. I am led by every day waking up. How can I bring the kingdom to pass today? Worship team, if you come. I know that there can be a, a heaviness. I know that there can be a weight. And the best I can do is I can apologize for all of those that have gone before you that have watered down 
It made the gospel of the kingdom to no effect. All the best I can do. I will not apologize for what we minister and how we minister. The best I can do is I can apologize for those that have spoken to you before and have not given the true weight and value to what this message is really all about. And for those of you that are hungry for it and desire it, this will open your eyes to say, there's a reality I've been living to that doesn't even come close to what God has for me. That can't give me what only he can give me. That can't do for me what only he can do for me. That can't supply to me what only he can supply. Would you stand with me? Jesus didn't teach us how to deal with unanswered prayers. Jesus didn't teach us what to do if they didn't get healed. Jesus didn't teach us what to do if they ended up dying anyways. Jesus didn't teach us what to do if we didn't receive heavenly provision. He lived in a realm that's much greater than what we've allowed ourselves to experience. It's much bigger than just attending a church and checking the box. He's calling you off of the sidelines. He's calling you out of the stands. He's calling you to partner with the Spirit of God to bring his kingdom to earth. And he will. He will bring his kingdom. The question is not, will it, will it come? The question is, will you be a part? Will you set yourself to say, whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want, whatever it is I have, you know, we have very little to offer. When it's all said and done, we have what, what, what we have to offer versus what he has to offer. They don't compare. But it's always asking for. It's always asking for. Would you do this with me with every eye closed, every hand lifted. Every eye closed, every hand lifted. We can have a moment of repentance right now. Just between you and God, just repent. Again, it's not saying I'm sorry. It's saying, Lord, shift my thinking. Why are my hands lifted, Pastor Mark? It's a sign of surrender. You're surrendering the old way, that old way that limits you, that old way that boxes him in, that old way that tries to come up with reasons why it didn't work and reasons why it won't happen. 
Let's surrender it right now in the presence of God. Surrender the reality of this world that is temporary for the reality of the kingdom that is permanent. Will never change. Will come to pass. That the omniscient, omnipotent God is here calling on you to bring his kingdom to the earth. To enact his plan and purpose all around you. Father, we just come to you now with yielded and surrendered hearts. Repentant hearts. From the inside, we repent. From the inside, we yield that which we have known for what is yet to be discovered. We yield it to you. We yield the hurts and the pains. We yield the pasts and the unknowns. Father, we even yield the future to you. And in this moment, in the present, right now, we make ourselves available to your call to bring the kingdom to the earth through us. As we submit to the Father and we are empowered by the Spirit with the same assignment and the same task that Jesus himself was tasked with to restore the kingdom all around us. We answer the call right now. We answer the call right now. We step up to the plate. We repent from a reality that's not your reality. A reality that you have no part of. A reality that maybe we've accepted out of mediocrity. We rise above that. We rise to the potential, to the greatness, to the goodness, to the power that is available in your kingdom, in your reality. So we repent, we shift our thinking, we shift our perspective, we shift from one to the other. Coming out of darkness, being brought into light. Father, I thank you, we'll walk in all that you have for us. We'll walk in a renewing of mind, renewing of spirit, reviving of your church and a restoring of your kingdom. That we will see your kingdom come to pass. We will see a last day move of God that will shake this earth at its very core. We give you glory and praise for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.